You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is a social entrepreneur and attorney who focuses on startup companies, nonprofit organizations, and arts and entertainment law issues. Creative Confidential starts now. My guests on the podcast today are members of one of the most promising indie rock bands coming out of Pennsylvania now. Earlier this year, they performed at South by Southwest, one of the largest indie rock festivals in the United States. In March, they were named one of the top 10 indie bands to watch by Rolling Stone magazine. Joining me this week are Carly and Tom from Slingshot Dakota. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So there's not many keyboard drum set duos running around these days. I, I can't think <laughs> of any other band that has this instrumentation. How did how did that evolve? Well, Slingshot Dakota used to have a standard formation in some kind of way. Um, we started in 2003 in Long Island. That's where I'm from. And I was playing keyboard basically as a bass instrument back then. Uh, my friends Jeff and Pat were playing music together and then for some reason decided they wanted me to join as the bassist but on keyboard because they knew that's what I played. Mm-hmm. Um, and as time went on, Tom joined the band to replace our original drummer. And then as time went on further, our guitar player was was unsure what he wanted to do with his career, if he wanted to do music or if he wanted to go um, continue teaching. So he ended up leaving the band, leaving me and Tom to decide if we wanted to replace him or continue on with each other. And we did our first tour as a two piece and decided that. It was way easier. <laughs> so we kept on going with just the two of us. <laughs> well, and, and maybe it's more, um, you know, maybe it's more prevalent in sort of in the punk space to have it like you'd, I don't, I wouldn't call white stripes punk, but you know, that right. seemed like the, to me at least as a, an observer, the first sort of big mainstream band that, was was composed that way. Yes. Usually the smallest you go is a trio. Right. Yeah, we we were um you know, you think punk, you know, there's no rules, but even within the punk community, we were still the weirdos. Um, you know, even though by definition punk is doing whatever you want and it's going against the grain, mm-hmm. as a two-piece, um we were still almost fighting for our place to be seen as a punk band within the community that we grew up in. So, um Weirdly enough, Tom and I feel comfortable playing any kind of shows, whether it's a punk show, an indie show, a hardcore show, anything, because we've grown up around that kind of music all of our lives. So, um, yeah, we definitely have been standing out this entire time, even in Slingshot Dakota's first incarnation with the three of us, but then even more so with the two of us, because, you know, people would start seeing me take my keyboard out and roll their eyes. You know, right? They're like, which I would think is funny because I'm like, this is punk by nature. Right. This is going against everything that your standard bands are doing. You've got two dudes on guitar, a dude bass player, and a dude drummer, and here I am, a female (laughs) keyboard player who's about to shred by putting my keyboard through all these different distortion pedals, Mm -hmm. and then I've got Tom, who's the most insane drummer I've ever seen play, and we're gonna melt your face. So we've been at it. We've been we've been kind of defying the odds you know for a long time but even within you know the community that nurtured us it was it was even hard well, and, the, <laughs> and the sounds that you um you know listening to your material it's uh so gr- your keyboard sound is so gritty yeah it does 
kind of crossover into that electric guitar space, yeah. that texture a little bit. Yeah. Originally, I so, you know, in um, writing songs with Tom and writing with Slingshot Dakota, I play guitar, but I didn't want to play it for this band because I knew that I can get more leverage with an 88 key keyboard. I could get the bass notes and the melody. So I could basically have my bass guitar and my rhythm guitar all in one instrument and mm-hmm. not have to have one more person join the band. So, um, you know, we've worked really hard to figure out what works the best. But, yeah, I chose to play that. And I also wanted it to be almost deceiving to people. Like, I wanted people to that were far away to not know what was happening. I wanted them to think that there was a guitar player and a bass player in the band. And then, uh, you know, after shows, people would say, Where's, where's your bass player? Or what were you playing? And I'm like, oh, that keyboard right there. That? Yeah. What pedals are you using? And then I tell them what I'm using. And I don't know, I think there's something really fun in that and defying expectations and being really creative, you know, even in the instrumentation alongside writing songs creatively with the lyrics and and so forth. But yeah, we've just been doing our own thing forever. And sometimes I'll let let the keyboard be its natural thing. I'll play its road sound Mm -hmm. as is. And then immediately I'll, you know, put on a pedal and make it a wall of noise. <laughs> but it's really fun to me. I feel yeah. like I'm not someone that likes, um, you know, I don't know what I like, but I feel like in music, especially in the live setting, I love being entertained. And I, I feel like by, with like my own setup and with how Tom plays, I feel like, you know, we kind of achieve that by being different. And I think that it's a strong point. I don't ever really think it's a weakness and I just love it. No, that's, you can't say it any better than that. And I think if, you know, we heard a little bit of, um, uh, Doreen, I think was Mm -hmm. the track on the beginning of the show. And one of the things that jumps out, if you see anything of, of you, your performances on YouTube, uh, the energy that comes through (laughs) the screen practically, because I think people hear, well, it's keyboards and drums. Well, it's probably, more um sedate yeah you know it's more mellow thing (laughs) and like you know tom plays in a very very rock style i mean it's not it's it's super aggressive in its own in its own way and uh just the two (laughs) things that they they don't seem like they should go together but it's it's terrific thanks yeah um that was kind of one of the things we played a hardcore festival a really long time ago when we were first uh, in the beginning stages of being a two piece band. And there's a picture of two guys behind me with their arms crossed, like, you know, really tough guys, like not impressed. And I remember that picture, I feel like captured kind of the feelings that me and Tom are always dealing with, like people seeing us set up and being like, what is this? Like right, right. This quiet music doesn't belong in this kind mm-hmm. of environment, which a, I think is another, you know, aspect of punk and hardcore where it's like actually anything can belong here technically by your rules. Um, but B, I also wanted to be like, just wait, you know, and so I would slowly take out my distortion pedals and line them up and then look at people looking really confused at each other. And then I used to just open up our set by playing a Fugazi riff to kind of let people know you see a keyboard and you, you, you know, you see me and this other person here and you think we, we might be one thing, but then I would play, um, waiting Room by Fugazi or whatever other songs I would come up with at the time just to kind of indicate in those first minutes of setting up, we're not what you think we are. Mm-hmm. We're playing a punk song on this keyboard 
And then it with anyone that might have been turning around and kind of being like, whatever this is, I'm not interested, would immediately turn right back around. And those guys in the picture that had their arms crossed ended up being fans of ours that we've come into contact with over years. You know, like, we're at that show. And I said, I know you're in the picture in the, that we used for a profile picture, picture for a really long time. Mm-hmm, right. And they were really nice. But I remember at the time, like, you know, sometimes you could sense other people's judgments. And if anything, that would almost inspire me to go even harder as a musician. And those guys were two of those people. <laughs> well, defying expectations is what it's all about. Yeah. Is what art's about, really, yeah. is is kind of setting up, you know, setting up whether it's, vis- you know, a visual artist or, or music or, or plays or, or whatever, where you know the audience has a certain worldview and you're going to you know, do something to deflate that some mm-hmm. somehow. So coming up, we usually don't do a lot of date specific stuff because people may discover these episodes a lot, you know, later on. But mm-hmm. not, but for this, we we have to because you have a lot of stuff. Yes, right around the corner. So in July, you're starting a tour. Where in Washington D.C. We're starting in D.C. Yeah, we're touring with our friends in the band called Dikembe, um, and we're doing a ten day tour with them. It starts July 18th and it ends. July 29th in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> and then we have a really nice drive home. And we'll be playing Music Fest August 8th. And then we're also playing Square of Opposition's uh, Anniversary Fest in, where is it, Merchant Square Mall in mm-hmm. Allentown. And that's July 17th. So we've got 10, at least 10 shows in July. Yes. You're, you're starting in D.C. And mm-hmm. I think you're hitting, uh, what, Philly, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Yep. I can't, I can't uh, remember. Chicago, the, Chicago. And then. Nashville. There you go. What's left? Gainesville, Orlando. A couple, and Tallahassee. And you have like three shows in Florida at the end of the month. Yeah. So. Those are the band Dikembe's from Florida. So they, well, they've they got a lot of friends down there. And this is a good opportunity for us to prompt everybody. On the show notes, we will link to the band's website and you can get the tour dates. But if you want to go directly to the band's website, what is that? Oh, it's being rebuilt right Slingshot now. Slingshotdakotamusic.com. <laughs> yes. Slingshotdakotamusic.com. Yes. Just like it is spelled, just like it is sounds. Yeah. Yes. There you go. And then you're on you're on Twitter and yeah, we're I'm on assuming everything. Twitter, Instagram, and, and yep. Facebook. And everything, everything else is just um, Slingshot Dakota. So Instagram tag, Twitter, everything, Facebook. What was the what was the the genesis of the name? How did um, that come about? our first drummer, <laughs> our first drummer, just thought it was cool. You know, there's honestly no, yeah, there's no (laughs) exciting story. Sometimes when we're feeling a little uh, snobby, we'll make up a story. But, you know, we're we're in our home home base and you guys are really nice. So we're not going to lie. Yeah, it just he thought it was cool. But now looking back on that, he came up with the best name because you can search it online and you're only going to find our band. Mm hmm. And so I'm really thankful to Pat Tram for creating this band name for us, because <laughs> when you Google search Slingshot Dakota or Twitter or anything, you find our band. You don't find much else. You maybe find uh, the Slingshot Ride, right. uh, whatever that like sling that slingshots you into the air. Yeah. Well, it's or the like, Dodge it, Dakota pickup truck. Yeah, That's but it. rarely, rarely. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm so proud. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it seemed like it was a character from an obscure film or... Yeah. Short well, story or something that nobody... That's where the th- lie comes in. We made yeah. up this elaborate backstory that Carly's... Well, don't say what it is so if you ever want to use it again. We'll work on it. We'll have a... We'll <laughs> have, right. we'll have a it's already in one interview already. We'll have a first draft of this story. our first t-shirt did have like a really cute 
Oh no, wait, that was Jeff Selb. Never mind. I was trying to think that we no. had like a really cute <laughs> drawing of something, but no. Yeah, no. He just thought it sounded cool, and I, I have to agree. It's a band name that both um, our friends and parents enjoy, which mm-hmm. I feel like is hard to find a band name that appeases everybody. So. Well, really and it, it sticks in your head immediately. Yeah. It, ha- yeah, it, it has that intangible th- thing. Yeah. I think that's that why we never changed it because if you listen to our first record, which Tom isn't even on, mm. and I'm I'm on it, but my, I'm more of a a backup singer than I am, you know, the main singer. We've come such a long and different way from our first record. Our first record is called Keener Size, mm-hmm. and that's me and the other two band members. And if you listen to that, to break which is the last record that me and tom put out it's pretty much a completely different band but you know we've had this name for so long and we made so much progress that we didn't really want to give that up so how many how many albums have you recorded together as a duo three Three. and then the other there's one more record without him (laughs) so there's four four in total three with an asterisk yeah Yeah. exactly fourth one but we won't yeah yeah it doesn't really count (laughs) we don't yeah we don't usually mention the first record just because but it is a i have to say it's a really great record yeah it's really it's like if that if that band should trajectory kept on it would have been just as amazing i feel like as me and tom's version um it's very college rocky it's more of like a softer indie rock but man it's Mm -hmm. it's real good my my friend jeff is an incredible (laughs) songwriter so in terms of your process now songwriting how do you divide the responsibilities or do you how does that work well i think you know we go about it many ways i think when we're writing a record what we'll do is we'll, we'll go into the practice space and um we'll go in with you know a couple of beers or whatever and just like relax and in about an hour or two's time we will just brainstorm all these different ideas. So we'll riff on some stuff. So we'll do like a fast song and then I'll be like, okay, stop playing, play something slow. Like I'll immediately stop the brain cycle and then switch it because what happens is if we start writing song ideas and then keep on that same tempo, we end up writing the same song over and over again. Okay. So we have this weird thing of coming up with an idea, recording it, and then completely switching gears and I'll say, all right, Tom, play a slow drum beat, whatever it is. And there's times where we're not even writing for Slingshot. We'll end up just jamming out, you know, just ideas just to kind of flesh them out. Um, and then we'll kind of do that for a few weeks. And then I'll sit back with those ideas and feel them out and see what really, you know, what has what has hooks in it, what sticks out, what's exciting to play, what's exciting to hear, or what is emotionally captivating and what we've played. And then I'll sit at home with those and start formulating songs around it. And then there's other times where I'll write songs in my head that are completely done. And I'll go to practice and I'll show them to Tom. And I said, okay, here's the drum beat. And I'll get behind it and play a really terrible version of what I need him to do. And then we'll do it that way. And then there's also times where he comes up with drum beats. And then I'll just join in and figure something out. So they're all different. We have like, I feel like there's three ways. There's the organic way where we do it together in the in the practice space and just come up with a complete song. There's my version where I come up with it in my head and then kind of have it pre-written for how I want Tom to do it. And then there's the the version where we just kind of jam out ideas and then kind of sit with those and see what works. But yeah. Is there any different way? No, there's no set way. <laughs> yeah, just what you said. We just try to be really relaxed. Like we just, we know that 
from the past when I was living in New York and Tom was living here, mm-hmm. we would only have the weekends to practice. And it puts so much pressure on us because we would have basically from an hour to maybe if we were lucky, three hours to practice. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of pressure on us to come up with really great creative ideas because you just, you're thinking, oh, if, you know, if we didn't come up with anything, that was wasted time, you know? Right, like, right. What do we do now? And so now we just, do the opposite. We take all that pressure off. And if we jam out for a night and nothing ha- happens, we say, okay, well, at least we've fleshed out those bad ideas. Or at least mm-hmm. we know that we can do jam music somewhere and just, you know, play around in a, <laughs> an idea for something else. Um, and then the next night we'll go back and sometimes we'll come up with a song immediately. So I think we just always need to take the edge off and go in with an open mind and open heart and, we just record everything and then. Uh, well, I was going to ask you yeah. whether you recorded all those. And, yeah, and... we do. We do the voice memo and then we do GoPro. Mm-hmm. So we have both, you know, both to listen back on. And it's crazy because there's times where, you know, we think we haven't come up with anything. And then a week will go by or we'll be on tour and I'll be lonely and I'll be missing home. And so I'll always listen back to the voice memo so I can feel, mm-hmm. you know, back at home and comfortable. And I'm like, oh, wow. This idea is awesome. Like for, <laughs> for the last of, record we came yeah. out with, there was a song that we finished right before going into recording because we discovered that it was actually really, really oh, this song's actually really good. Well, I don't know why we haven't gone up with it. Well, and having a little bit of time gives you a different perspective on, Absolutely. on an idea that may not have seemed good yeah. then, but now you're like, okay, that's that sounds Exactly. Or there's sometimes where Tom is in love with an idea that I'm not in love with or vice versa. And then sometimes we come around and we decide that the song is great, that we're going to work with it. And then there's other times where we both kind of we're like, well, let's can it. And that song idea exists. And if it's going to work, it'll come back. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be. It's going to come back in some kind of format. So we, we try not to stress anything anymore. I think it works. There you go. <laughs> the So the new record is coming out. It, March 11th, it came out. Oh, so, yeah. so the name, and the name of that recording it's is? It's called Break. Okay. It was recorded and um, produced by our friend Todd Scheid, who's in Wasurgis. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Wasurgis, Pennsylvania? Right outside of Hillertown. Wasurgis. Wasurgis. It's a tiny, yeah. it's a tiny little village town. One intersection. Thing. Yeah. One yeah. intersection in a recording studio. Yes. It's yes. a one, it has, it's a one a really recording good... studio town. That's yeah. About. Yep. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. And that recording process was great. He, he also did teaches it. drums at California yeah. Drum Shop, too. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Todd Scheid, for all who are listening. There you he's go. the best. He was in a band from Philly called Adderbat. He play, played drums for them. They were an awesome indie rock band. Yeah. That's he's the Todd okay. Scheid trivia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you, so do you want to play a little something from from the record? Sure. Do you want me to talk about what I'm going to play? We're acting like we have not prepared this but we, 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 we yeah, prepped please. it a little bit Why don't so you set this up yeah us? i'm gonna play a song that's called too much um and as i've mentioned i prefer to play our music as a band on piano um because i feel like it's more challenging and it's more exciting and uh i i feel like a lot of people see female piano players and they just associate them with like a the piano is a very female instrument and i'm trying to make it punk and i'm trying to make it badass and is that okay to say of I course i don't know it wouldn't things. be very rock and roll right i know swear, so <laughs> you okay. can do whatever you want <laughs> so i've worked really hard to kind of um kind of make this setup really assertive and confident but 
I also love playing guitar. Mm -hmm. And so I I like putting on our record something that showcases that as well. So I'm going to play a song called Too Much. Um, It's written um, about a friend who was going through some tough times and just really wanted someone to be there for her. Okay. That's what the song's called. Right on. And then while you're while you're getting ready, I'll um, just to remind everybody, if you have any questions about past episodes or if you have any suggestions of guests that you would like to see on the show, you can reach me on Twitter. Uh, the, the podcast is on Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. There's about 100 ways to uh, to reach me. So uh, use one of those channels and um, uh, or you can email me at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at creativeconfidential.net. Here we go. All right. Is it too much for you to be a 
Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks. Oh, we got to do more of that. That was great. Thank you. You're welcome. It's rare that I play that sitting down and out of the corner of my eye, seeing my husband smiling like a little freak on the side. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was that was phenomenal. So, so that's on the new record. Yes. That's the only acoustic, the only acoustic, acoustic song. Track. Yeah, I recorded guitar in another song that um, we had recorded eleven songs in total, but uh, for vinyl. For vinyl time, we cut two out so that it would sound amazing. <laughs> the vinyl geeks are saying that you can't have too much, too much on there. Well, there's a lot. Well, that's a huge. It's it's. it's I a, mean, it's it, the, the resurgence it's a of, thing. of LPs is is really surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, they're all over the place now, which is good as it should be. It's awesome. Um, so we've we've kind of walked through the present day stuff, mm-hmm. and one of the things about what this podcast is about is trying to help other creatives, whether they're, you know, younger people, high school kids, college age people, or, uh, you know, maybe adults that are, you know, maybe they work in an accounting firm and Mm want to be a painter (laughs) Mm -hmm. or they want to do something else and completely break out of, of, of whatever their, you know, reality they're stuck in is. So I always like to spend some time on, how you do what you do mm-hmm. and and what's required to sustain any kind of you know career i think people yeah. are always taken off guard by the fact that you really do live and breathe the work the work yeah mm-hmm. i um i want tom i feel like i've been talking a lot but i i want to say before i i'm going to make you answer this that i feel like with the arts people often think that um you work and then you you make it like all of a sudden it's just like, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of hard work that go goes into doing something artistic. And um, there's some people that, you know, have a really successful breakout where they all of a sudden make it and can make a living instantly. But for, I think, the majority, you really have to put a lot of work into it. And there's times where it, it does not pan out that you can't make a living off of it. It's really hard. It's really competitive. And it. You need to have a thick skin to do it. But Mm -hmm. um, I think being in a band is no different than I feel like owning some kind of business. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really important for people to hear this, that I feel like for me and Tom, having this band is no different than us opening up a restaurant. You need to have insurance on your gear. You need to put a lot of money down to start. You need to own your instruments. You need to have a practice space. You need to know that you're going to be investing money into a tour should it not do well. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much it takes just to get started. They think that, you know, they might record a demo and then go on tour and then be really confused why it's not working out. And for us, you know, we we love what we're doing so much, but we also know that it takes a ton of work and it can also take a ton of losses to figure out how to make it work. And, you know, I'm from New York. I've seen a million restaurants go up and go down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's no different than being in a band it just you know you really have to put everything into it and you also have to be absolutely in love with it mm-hmm. like that's like the number one rules you have to be in love with what you're doing and you also have to be really good you have to work your butt off and practice um but i want like i've been chatting yeah i mean to feed off what carly's saying is like 100 percent right off the bat if you don't love what you're doing then you might as well just 
not do it. Like, especially with music. Like, if you don't love playing music and your main goal is to make money, then you're already, you're already failing. But I think for people who, um, are in the creative field and want to become successful, I think it all depends on what your goals and your expectations are. First off, like if you want to make money and be abandoned, make money, then you need to, I, man, I don't even know. Like I, that's, it's not even what we got in it for. We got into playing music cause we love doing it. Well, I think, and then, yeah. And I think that's absolutely the key. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are ways to commercially, you know, make things work if, right. if you want to start, you know, an Almond Brothers tribute band or right. something like that's a thing. Now absolutely. that's an industry. Yeah. There are wedding bands that, that play, you know, eight to 10 weddings a a month and that's how they make that work. But I mean, primarily for totally original performers, Sure, that's really where we kind of live and breathe here on, on this show. Yeah. I mean, I like bands I looked up to are bands that are, that have like multiple albums, like 10 albums in their discography or 20 albums in their discography. And they make music over a long period of time and like i really saw i really see slingshot dakota something like that where it's like we're a married couple and we can do music for the rest of our lives and it'll you know whatever form it takes it will take but i mean for what we do and my advice to bands that want to do what we do i would say do your research and see how you can do everything yourself as much as possible from the beginning mm-hmm. to save money and then so that you can use your money to like keep investing your money back into the band mm-hmm. so from the beginning like i learned how to screen print t-shirts so then that was immediate money saver from the beginning is like that we made our own shirts and that mm-hmm. that may not sound like a significant thing to pe- people Huge. but <laughs> right because it's if um you're even doing a limited run. Yeah. It's, you know, you're probably 10 or $11 a unit to do it right. Mm-hmm. And the, the printing shop wants you to order 500 of them. Right, right. Well, all of a sudden you're into it for a couple grand or $3,000 that you could have used elsewhere to, mm-hmm. you know, to do other things. So, I mean, yeah. attacking it on the overhead side is is brilliant. I mean, that's really, like I always tell people, it's not how much you make necessarily, it's how much you spend. Mm-hmm. So if right. you're making a million a year, but you're putting out a million one right. a year, you got a big problem. Yeah. So it's it's really a, a expense side kind of And that's something thing. too that we've been, you know, as as we're getting older and we're, we're seeing other friends or other bands, um, you know, play really great shows or get on really great tours, you know, we don't have any agent, we don't have any manager, we're doing this all by ourselves. And, um, you know, sometimes you think, oh, man, they're getting that tour or, you know, you kind of, no, you don't, um, we, we just compare ourselves in a certain, in a very like logical way of, oh, let's see someone else's trajectory that we've grown up with who's doing kind of the same thing we're doing. And sometimes you think like, oh, they might be doing a certain thing, but they have to pay out more people, mm-hmm. you know, and they might, you know, and everyone's journey is completely different. But it's nice that even from the get go, Tom was printing our shirts we were traveling in a minivan, so we had no, you know, our gas 
was nothing. We weren't traveling in a van that we're traveling in now. We booked back all the then. Show, booked all the shows. Booked all of our shows. And I mean, also in the beginning, you know, we were pretty much just playing as much as we could because we wanted to get better. We wanted to mm-hmm. get more comfortable as a two piece. When we first started, um, we wanted to figure out our set. We want. I wanted to figure out my pedals. So there was a lot of learning to be done. And I think that's really important for people starting off too in in music is um, practice a lot and then also go play open up for any and every show and then once you start getting some kind of momentum stop playing every show (laughs) so that Mm -hmm. people want you to play those shows and that you're bringing people out because you're not playing every day Um, and then you know when it comes to touring you know like Tom is saying keeping doing everything as much as you can by yourself is so important and cutting down your costs going to a a mechanic who's not gonna you know overcharge you for your vehicle or you know, traveling in a vehicle that's economical for you and getting friends to record your demo that are going to do a good job but mm-hmm. aren't going to charge you a lot of money. So all the things that you can do by networking with your friends and like Tom said, kind of looking stuff up and looking up where other bands that maybe you look up to that where they've come from and kind of looking at their past and then kind of, you know, talking to people about what's what the best route is. But I feel like the love in your heart for what you're doing is super important and then just being active Mm. and then like the next step is okay we're starting to get momentum people are into this then pulling back and then you know figuring out what your next part of your journey is yeah in terms of booking shows Mm -hmm. are you this is something i think that a lot of bands have trouble with yep is it as simple as cold calling the venues? We how, so how do you attack that? At this point, we've been really lucky to be on bigger tours where we've been the tour support. Um and through those tours, we've gotten all of those contacts for those venues. Some of those venues are way too big for what me and Tom would be playing on our own. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't be booking the metro, you know, what is it, in Chicago or like mm-hmm. really huge venues that we've been super lucky to play. We've ne- we would never play those on our own at this point in our career. But um for the smaller tours, we have all the contacts. So we just write them ourselves. We say, you know, ask them, you know, the date that we're looking for, what the specifics are that we're looking for. And, you know, if it's someone that we're not sure if they'd remember who we are, we might tell them what tour we were on. You know, because especially with people that we meet, if they say we want you to come back, we want to remind them that they told us that because right. they see so many bands every day. So we want to remind them why, you know, why we want them or why they want to book us again. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I feel like, you know, there's so many bands doing this, though there are bands that just do cold calling and it, it is really hard. But for me and Tom, the people that we're working with, we've kind of now developed a relationship with. So it's easy for us. And I think those relationships have been developed from us touring on our own and also from being part of other tours and then just meeting those people while we're there. But I feel like forming a relationship brand new with someone is mm-hmm. is really hard yeah. but if you have the goods to back it up if you've got other bands vouching for you in that city um if you have a band camp that's uh, the best representation of your band then you're going to be great if you're you know you've got really great feedback on the internet in whatever kind of format i think you'll be okay i think it's definitely harder for a band starting out to get those relationships and to get those shows but that's why i feel like it's important for those bands to start as small as possible and take whatever shows you can get, even if they are bad, 
because you have to start networking and you have to start meeting people. It starts with meeting other bands when you're traveling. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't I can't even tell you how many shows we've played just to bands, you know, when we were starting out. And it still happens. We still have duds here and there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's part of this is that not everything's going to be perfect. And the way that you handle that, I think, defines you as a person and as a band. Um, but, yeah, it's... I think that's why a lot of people just go the booking agent route so fast because they don't want to put that work in. They don't want to have those shows that, that you know, yeah. kind of fail. But it's but that's a huge part of growing. But oftentimes, it's like um, it's such a gamble if you go the booking agent route right away because you don't have that foundation of a core fan group. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you start off small, like playing small clubs or alternative like alternative spaces like art galleries or house shows you start getting people who are like true music fans Mm -hmm. that are going to these like really weird places because they love music and then if they love your music they will become hardcore fans of yours and then they'll follow you along the way to like small clubs and then bigger clubs and you know like performance venues and all that but i think it's important to become like be a nice genuine person and be kind to everyone like be kind to the sound person be kind to the promoter be kind to other bands and then through that you can grow together like we've played really small crappy venues crappy shows and the only person that likes us is the sound person <laughs> and then we'll come through the town again and the sound person will come to our show and bring people Mm -hmm. or they'll ask the club if they can do sound for us at a different club because they like us and then they do a really good job mixing our sound and then then people are oh you sounded really great tonight you didn't sound that good last time or (laughs) or like this is my first time seeing you you guys sounded awesome and it's because that sound person did an awesome job mixing you and then we get more fans from from that like little yeah. piece of magic happening every single but, relationship matters yeah it's super important to be the best representation of yourself um you know i think in life but then also on tour even when you're really mm-hmm. tired and you might be cranky and you just drove a million hours i feel like me and tom we meet everyone and we do our best to remember every single person's name um, at least for that day until we might forget it. But, yeah. you know, it's exactly what Tom said. There was a guy, um, we played emos once, but like the original emos in Austin. And we somehow got on a show that was a comedy night. So we had no business being on the show. The promoter wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. No one knew anything about us even playing. And so we were like, we'll just open and hang out. We have not, you know, we're on tour. We have nothing else to do. And, um, I also remember the comedians were like super misogynistic and like just just ridiculous. It was a very ridiculous evening, but <laughs> we played and the sound guy who I believe his name is Jeff loved us and was just like, I why why did you play the show? You're the best <laughs> thing about this night that I'm yeah. working and you know, when are you coming back? Emos felt so bad and paid us like from their own bar, which was amazing. You know, we're like, you we don't have to do anything. You know, we played mm. this was a weird show. We took a gamble, as you do on tour. Um, it was really sweet. And then the next time he came back, the guy, Jeff, came. He worked another show for us, but then also has come on his own and just mm-hmm. come to support us and has told his friends and yeah. brought people. And, you know, it's really, it's crazy how it works where you think, 
you have a bad show. Some people just stop there and be like, well, I'm not, tour is not for me. All these shows were bad or whatever. But it's like, if you keep, you know, making friends with people and what you're doing is actually resonating with people, like the art form is actually something that people like, it's it's going to start snowballing at some point if it's meant to be. But you also have to have an incredibly thick skin and know that it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Even with a booking agent, like Tom was saying, you can get a booking agent who's still going to book you at whatever bars, but that doesn't mean that people are going to go. Mm-hmm. So not only right. are you booking, you know, you're getting shows playing right. to who knows how many people, but then on top of that, you owe someone money for that show that may or may not have done well. Or you can get so signed to a big label and be the small fish in this huge pond of a, a label and people think, oh, this band is huge. Like this band is on a big label. We'll just put them on as the headliner. Like it happened to our friend's band. They got signed to a huge record label on their first record and all the clubs put them as the headliner and no one knew who they were. And no one stuck around for them. They played a headlining tour to virtually no one. So, I mean, it's like yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in getting out there and just playing <laughs> playing, touring, proving yourself on stage, getting fans that way because that those are the people that are going to be invested in your whole future are people who are coming out to shows who love live – for our style of music in mm-hmm. particular, right. who love live music, who love the experience of it. And you know that's the way we've gotten our, our organic fan base I think is mm-hmm. through playing, playing I think live. you kind of figure out your crowd as you go yeah. along and you figure out – who, you know, what what your audience is, what are the people that you want to deal with when you're going on tour, what promoters that you want to work with based on the shows that they're booking. Um, and then, you know, you start looking up bands that you want to play with. It's You really just start making this, like, big network of friends, like mm-hmm. organic network, not like a on the businessy version of it, mm-hmm. which obviously that stuff is really important. But for me and Tom, it's like we make genuine connections with bands that we want to tour with and play with because there's some bands that we really like but as people we don't gel with them right. and we don't you know it's not that we don't want to support them musically but if like for instance if there's bands that we see that are rude to the staff at a venue I'm like we don't we don't want to tour with them ever yeah or do anything with them or if they're perpetually late or you know not adhering to set times and stuff like right, that stuff right. that we are just the- really strict about for ourselves where they treat it like a competition like yeah a battle of the bands and i'm like it's not we're here like <laughs> we're i'm here. a fan of music i'm just here to make <laughs> friends and like have fun and i feel super lucky to have this gift uh like to be able to play drums and make music and stuff like that and like let's all be friends but it's weird when people treat it like a competition like that is just everyone's and there's the everyone's so different so it yeah. doesn't it doesn't make sense. I mean, especially for me and Tom, like we, we aren't competing anyone because mm-hmm. there's really, there's people doing, there's two piece bands out there and there's definitely eclectic band formations. But I feel like for us, I never, my brain's never even in that mindset mm-hmm. because it, we're doing whatever we do. Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing it. that like personally that drives me nuts is how um, prevalent that kind of philosophy now is you know ever since american idol oh yeah started and america's got talent and all these other shows yeah now people you know young kids if you talk to you know if you talk to anyone that has grown up 
in, in this worldview, maybe that like my kids are like 14 and, and 12 and they don't really know when that was not a thing, like right. they, that kind of predated them. So um, it's, it's interesting to hear people who have this construct that, you know, well, if you can get on the TV show and then maybe you win, then something else happens. But right. like, there's yeah. enough experience now to know that even somebody that wins American Idol or, or whatever it is, yeah. might never hear they might have again. one tour where the touring company owns everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, owns the songs, owns the performances, all the content, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of fall off a cliff. Yeah. Yes. And you never hear from them again. Yeah. It's super damaging for for people's like for creative people's psyche, for their mind, like to like think that if they don't get this certain thing, then like what their talent is it's for not, you right. know, like, oh, like if I don't win this contest or if I don't get signed to this major label, then like, why, why even bother? But there's like millions of people, they're not millions, but there's like hundreds of bands, thousands of bands, thousands of performers out there that are just doing what we do. Like they just get out there and they go on tour and there's no expectation to become humongously famous. Like right. it's, it's. It's like chasing the end of the rainbow. You're never going to find it. Like there's no pot of gold. Like it's all like I feel like the the major labels are f- like starting these competitions, these shows and stuff like that. And they're making people think like if you don't get signed, then you're nothing or your, your music's nothing. But like take – it's like taking the joy out of what you do. You know what I mean? Like making music is such a joyous thing to share for share to people. And like by putting like this money prize on it, I think it takes away from the special specialness of it. And then it, I don't know. No, I don't, I, I don't no, know where I, I'm exactly I, going. It's just, I'm just, it's funny. Cause I remember when American Idol first came <clears throat> out, I remember my parents were watching it and I was in like the heightened, punk phase of my life mm-hmm. and i remember being like what is this like they can all be singers they're all singers already yeah why do they have to win so and i remember my parents were like it's what you know they're gonna be the next big thing and they're gonna get money and whatever and i'm like right they can do this on their own right. they, don't, they don't need to be on this show doing it they can do this in it real is, life it is ironic it's that crazy that we're not in the old system where there were only a few gatekeepers mm-hmm. right or tastemakers now you can you know, you can record the record yourself, yep. even with a a, yeah. a fairly limited budget. You can still get a really high quality, you know, high yeah. en- highly engineered product that sounds good. Yeah, you can release. Do you guys? Uh, you you're on Bandcamp. dot mm-hmm. com. So yeah, um, go buy all the records. It's, <laughs> if you go on Bandcamp. dot com, just listen to them. Here's here's why we like that service in particular because more. If you buy music through the Bandcamp site, you're actually buying it right from the artist. Mm-hmm. And more of the net dollars go go to the band. So if you're buying a, a track off of iTunes, I don't even know if anybody does that anymore. It's all streaming. But um, a lot of the other outlets like Amazon and iTunes, you know, more than half the money goes to Apple or, or Amazon or whoever it is. So, so Bandcamp's a great site for indie bands because mm-hmm. more more of the money goes to actually support the people that are creating the uh, the work. Yeah, but for you know, so for this game show kind of philosophy to take hold uh, in in this day and age, where 
You can upload stuff directly to YouTube. You can reach people directly without any filter or any editing or any, you know, pressure from, you know, from outside forces. It doesn't, it's kind of a paradox. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Why, why it's a thing, but it is so. It's, it's one of those things where like kind of what Tom was saying is that sometimes you think you need to get to point A to get to point B. Like you need this glorious TV thing to get even bigger or whatever your the journey is in your mind that you think you need to get. Any time that I've ended up thinking that way is when things go wrong for me because that's never how I've thought musically. It's always me just creating stuff. Mm-hmm. And then judging it on my own, being like, what's the best song or what's what's the best version of what we've been writing? And anytime I get in the mindset of like, well, if we just had this, then that would ease this. And anytime I end up thinking that way, it like backfires. It's always when I start getting really upset about, you know, I start really, you know, um, being introspective about my whatever I'm doing instead of just being confident about it. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And I feel like, um, you know, with Facebook, for instance, there's so many bands and you see now when we go on. I'm like, every band is on tour right now. Mm. Every single band is on tour. I don't even, the pie is the same size (laughs) and there's way more mouths now. But then, you know, so it's really easy to get anxiety about that. But then on the flip side of that, there's all these bands that aren't in this indie genre. Take literally any genre, take metal, take Christian rock, take anything. There are so many bands that I don't know who are selling out shows that are doing really great. I'm like, well, there's room for everybody, clearly, because I'm only looking at one bubble, the bubble that I'm in. I'm in mm-hmm. the indie punk yeah. world. Mm-hmm. But there are ba- all kinds of genres, all kinds of bands that are doing their things that I've never even heard of that are succeeding. So clearly it's possible for all these people to exist on planet Earth and make a living <laughs> doing what they do. Mm-hmm. You just have to be really smart about it. You just have yep. to really sort it out on your own and with some bands that means getting an agent or a manager it just doesn't mean that for us yeah and there's some bands that get lucky they make a really awesome song and it gets it catches what like catches fire on the internet and they become famous overnight and then they go on huge tours and have an awesome career i mean there's just so many different ways there's different ways everyone's path is so different yeah we just try to not Get, like I think that one of the most important things to know is that what works for someone is not going to work for everybody. Yeah. So everyone's, you know. My number one piece of advice, stop comparing yourself yeah. to other people. <laughs> because once you start doing that, you're just going you to you're gonna be in your head way too much over what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why am I not getting what they're getting? Why am why are we not famous? Why do we not have 10,000 likes on Facebook? Right. Instead of going into the studio, doing it. going into your practice space and practicing your instrument and getting better at it so that when you get on stage you're in front of amazing. people who don't know you, yes, you're going to be amazing and you're going to wow people and then if people like you and and you are your own genuine self and people like you for who you are that's that's the success mm-hmm. right there they like you for what you do because you're being a genuine human being and this and isn't it, to say that we haven't gotten into that comparing rabbit hole oh we've done God. it all the time it's, and then well, we're like human it's human yeah. nature yeah you it's yeah. easy to get in there especially on tour and we, you're on your phone you're like how did we do last oh. night or you know i'm like oh, i need to just not be on my phone and just look out the window at the United States that I 
never get to see because I'm always in Pennsylvania. So yeah. it's really easy to get caught up in that. You're always wanting that one next step thing. higher. Always, always. And that's not a bad thing. Like, it's really good to want better for yourself, you know, that you want to be able to pay your bills and keep doing what you love to do instead of, you know, going on tour for two months and then coming home and working a really crappy job and then not, you know, practicing. But, you know, like we we keep getting better. We keep getting better tours and, ma you know, making money and we're able to cover our bills now and concentrate all of our energy on playing music. Yeah. Also, too, like a, a big... I read Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please, which is a really good book. I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, reading about someone else's journey of how they got from, you know, aspiring comedian or whatever to successful. She's everywhere. It's she's hard everywhere. To not, and it's she's incredible. Now, yeah. And I think that um, one of the things that she po uh, was writing in the book was that doing the thing is doing the thing. Talking about the thing is not doing the thing. Mm -hmm. Doing the thing is doing the thing. So me and Tom talking about how much we want to you know do this one thing it means nothing we have to go practice you have to go on tour you have to get the record done you need to get it out to people you have to be active you can't just want something to happen overnight it definitely happens to people for sure it's it's something that you know very lucky people can attain but the general rule of thumb is that you have to put a lot of work into it no, and no. even if you're we spend a day just coming up with ideas that don't get used I can still go to bed at night being like oh we worked. We worked today. You know, we maybe didn't come up with a, the killer song of my dreams, <laughs> but we worked. That was work. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, you, uh, if you're not intrigued by these guys by now, I, do, I can't help you. But <laughs> um, go, to, go to the show notes uh, at creativeconfidential.net. Click on the episodes tab and uh, we'll have some embedded videos from you guys and uh, links to the tour dates opening night for this swing is july 10 so july 17th is the square of opposition's anniversary fest that's going to be here in allentown mm -hmm. and then the first day of the tour with Tekembe is july 18th it'll be in washington dc i believe it's at comet ping pong which is one of the coolest venues ever mm -hmm. okay so get ready uh get ready washington they're they're coming so um <laughs> This was a pleasure. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much us. for joining us. Yeah, and uh, we will help you. Uh, not that you need my help. You're everywhere. I can't, you know. No. We're not. Get us everywhere. <laughs> I want to go more places. Okay. Well, then, in that case, we'll do our part. So uh, yeah. thanks, guys. And Thank uh, so hopefully much. we can do, um, you know, a part two sometime down the road. Yeah. And, and talk about more We love stuff. podcasts. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. To have Brian consult for your arts organization or to book Brian for public speaking engagements or personal coaching sessions, send an email to brian at creativeconfidential.net. That's B-R-Y-A-N at creativeconfidential.net. To get future episodes automatically, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman Social Media Creation. Creation. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com. Dot com. Dot com.